Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. We're so glad that you're joining us here today, whether in Ajax, Port Perry, Bowmanville, at a cottage, you're at the gym listening to this message or around the world. We're coming nearly now to the end of our series, walking through the famed Big Ten, walking through the God's life-giving laws, the Ten Commandments. In 313 words, we see who God fully is and who he's not. We see what it is to be truly human, to know our fallenness, to know our lostness. We're confronted also by the beautiful love of God, where he comes for us and he rescues us when we could not grasp him, know him, or get close to him. And as we know out of the original context, we're pulled from slavery and our love response back to a God that saved us from something that was unsavable is that we actually are transformed and we love him and we love our neighbor, those made in the image of the one that actually loved us first. In other words, if you want a summary of this whole series, here it is. We have been loved by God first through Jesus So now we love God back and we love our neighbor. And how do we love God and how do we love our neighbor? By obeying the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments do not give you pluses with God. They do not save you, but they are the response of a grateful people who are becoming like the one that first loved them. Now, so far in the series, we've moved from the sanctity of worship to the sanctity of neighbor. We've preached on the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, and now we're going to address the sanctity of property and also the grounding for all the others, the sanctity of truth itself. So let's start with a real easy topic this morning, stealing. God says in four simple words in Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. Now stealing is rooted most of the time in jealousy and pride, out of control want, and stealing can lead to things like murder and adultery and lies, etc. Think about it. The devil himself wanted to steal the glory of God. The devil himself wanted to steal God's throne, which led to much of the mess we're now all sitting in. Cain wanted to steal Abel's position before God, and it opened the door to the very first murder in the human race. Rebekah convinced Jacob to steal Esau, that is his older brother's birthright, from his older, blind, dying father. J.I. Packer simply said these words, it is not God's will for us to have anything we cannot obtain by honorable means. Now, when you steal something, of course it affects you and it affects a neighbor or a country or an organization, but actually what we need to understand as we've we've gone through this, let me repeat it again, all sin has a Godward force. And so every single time we break the Ten Commandments, whatever they might be, the very first person who's assaulted, the very first person who is insulted, the very first person we put an affront against is not the neighbor and is not you or us. It's God. So every time we steal, we attack God himself. Why? Because God is a generous gift-giving father and stealing goes against his very DNA. Now, for many of us, not all of us, many of us in this place, we are followers of the Lord Jesus. We have affirmed him as Savior, leader, and Lord. And for we who are followers of Jesus, Paul, rooting this command that he's about to give in the Ten Commandments, says this in Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, must but, but must work, doing something youthful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Theft is a major problem in our time like in all times, 
a paper given at the American Psychological Association Symposium on Employee Theft, presented the breakdown of the $8 billion of inventory shortages that affect department and chain stores every year. Now, when they did the calculations, here's what happened. 10% was due to clerical error. 30% was connected to shoplifting, which is wrong and sinful. But a shocking 60%, that's $16 million a day in theft, is done by the employees of the companies. Cheating on your taxes, it's a sin. Illegal downloading of music, movies, and books, it's a sin. If you're a follower of Jesus today and your phone or your iPad or tablet is full of illegally down, you're going to start walking out the door and in Jesus' name start deleting right after this sermon. (laughs) You're laughing. I'm not. (laughs) Delete in Jesus' name. Deceit in business is not allowed for us who are followers of Christ. We are not allowed to steal as followers of Jesus. Paul actually says something so profound, so countercultural. He says, work so hard as a Christian so you can get a bigger house. No, more RSPs. No, work more so you can be more generous, so you can give more. We are so profoundly not of this world in some ways. We do not steal, steal, and we work hard so we can give to those in need because I hear someone of significance once said, our treasure is somewhere in heaven. J.I. Packer says there are three other ways we can steal. You can steal people's time by overworking them and not paying them. Now, this is not talking about willful volunteerism. It's not saying it taking a few extra hours every week, but there is theft of time all through our culture. Many of you work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You're only paid for 40, but if you stop working the 80, you will lose your job. You know what that's called? That's called theft. Overpricing things is theft. God confronts his own people like this using an ancient understanding when he said in Deuteronomy 25, 13, don't have two different weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Don't have two different measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you will live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Overcharging, manipulation of situations so you underpay and the person that you're charging has no way out, that's theft. Now, one of the most notorious acts of theft in our day in a social media-driven world is the theft of someone's reputation. Shakespeare once wrote, he who steals my purse steals trash, but he that clinches from me my good name makes me poor indeed. What you say to people or about people online, what you say to people about other people, what you post about people you know or do not know, famous or not, body language, not having all the facts, guilty before presumed innocent, they're a liar, don't you know who they really are, I hate their political agenda, they have an agenda, listen, you can steal a person's reputation just like that. And here's what the gospel says, as Christians, that is never permitted from our side of the conversation. Another way we steal is not paying back just what we owe. Paul wrote in Romans 13, 7, give to everyone what you actually owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. Revenue, then revenue. Respect, then respect. Honor, then honor. Remember, he's writing this during a time where persecution is just beginning and the Roman Empire emperor is out of his mind, crazy, demonic, and ludicrous. And he's saying, oh, by the way, we even honor him. Remember what Sunder taught us about honoring mums and dads? How do we honor parents that actually do not deserve honor because they not, we honor their office? Paul simply teaches us as Christians, number one, we pay our taxes because it's not only for the common good, it is actually worship unto God. But it's not just taxes. If you owe someone money, you pay it back to them. 
And then he keeps going, he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves the others has fulfilled the whole Old Testament law. Oh, many people misuse verse eight all the time. They say, oh, see, it's, it's evil to borrow money and you can't have debt and you can't have a credit card and mortgages are of the devil. Well, they sort of are, but that's not what's being taught here. Five bankers are like, no, they're not. No, they're not. No, it's okay. That's not what's being taught here. The idea here is don't let debt continue on and on. Don't be addicted to debt. Don't let debt remain outstanding. Don't default on a loan. I love when one person said, be a person with honor. Fulfill your obligations. Don't make creditors track you down. You seek them out. You be completely honest and forthright. You pursue arrangements to pay off what you owe. If someone holds a particular position that is due respect, then give it freely as a Christian with enthusiasm. The real call here is to love our neighbor. And the only debt we should have towards every neighbor is love. And oh, by the way, before all of us try escaping from this, Jesus has already defined who our neighbor is. It's 7.8 billion people on earth. It's every human. Paul connects this very teaching back to the Ten Commandments in verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever the other commands there might be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does not do harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now remember, I want to remind us that the commands are given to people who already know God personally. The society could obey the Ten Commandments and society would be a little better, but remember, they don't have the power to obey them because the spirit of Jesus is not living in them. But for we who are in, we who have been elected and bought and Jesus is our savior and the spirit of God lives in us and Jesus has revealed the fullness of the God of the Old Testament. God says to us unequivocally, you may not steal. It is a sin. We're like, okay, thanks, John, we're done, right? No, God's not quite finished because now we come to the second last command. Two words, don't lie. Oh, our culture is full of lies. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We live in a post-truth environment. There's the facts, and now we hear these new things called alternative facts, (laughs) Many thinkers point out that lying within our day and age has not become transgression or sin or an act of deviance or rebellion or an unholy rebellion against a holy God. Actually, they say it's a new art form to navigate the new world. How to deal with the new economy. It's the pillar of the new, more enlightened way of thinking. Lying in small and large ways affects families, churches, business, government, schools. We see lies all the time on Twitter, Facebook, email, Instagram, texting and conversations. So let's remind ourselves what lying is since our culture can't even remember what it is anymore. Lying is being deceitful. It's being dishonest. It's being two-faced. It's insincerity. It's untruth. When you use misdirection or falsification or exaggeration or manipulation to get ahead, that's lying. The very first words recorded by Lucifer to we as human beings was this. Did God really say You can't eat from that tree of good and evil. And oh, and then by the way, if you do eat from that forbidden brute, you will not die. Lie three. And oh, by the way, if you do eat from it, you will be like God. I'm not a liar and you're not a liar. God's actually the liar. And don't you know he's a little child who's afraid of you and he's oppressive. And the only way that humans are gonna flourish is to throw off the slavery of God himself and you be in charge. And when you determine your future, oh, then you will be free free. 
The devil was a murderer from the beginning, John writes, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. All the mess and all the pain of the world that we all experience, disease, death, war, everything has its inception point, its starting point in one thing, when Adam and Eve gave into a lie. Now, on the surface, some lies don't seem that bad. One person years ago took some time to outline some of the most common lies we've said or heard. Maybe you've actually texted, tweeted, or said these things this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you back pretty soon. Yeah, the old way of saying it is the check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. Oh, we service what we sell. Give me your number and the doctor will call you right back. Oh, money in this organization, we cheerfully refund it. Yeah, right. Here's the best one in our culture. One size what? Fits all lie. The offer is limited to the first hundred people who call in. Your luggage isn't lost. It's just, it's just misplaced. Oh, you leave your resume with us and we'll keep it on file. Right? Uh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Oh, I just need five minutes of your time. No, no, your table will be ready just in a few minutes. Open wide. This isn't going to hurt a bit. Let's have lunch sometime. Not really. Okay. Uh, it's the money, not the principal. Here's the best one. It's not you. It's, it's me. <laughs> Lying so much of the time, though appearing funny, is incredibly serious. Some of you are already listened to, listening to the fallen side of your heart. And actually, the demonic themselves are even whispering among us. John, give me a break. You're so old-fashioned. Everyone knows the difference between, you know, a fib and a a white lie and and the big ones. Well, true, there are profound differences in the consequences of the lie. But I would like to remind everyone that God is a holy God, and we actually are on our way to hell because we have broken his holy law, and we have walked away in rebellion. And so a fib, a white lie, or a serious lie all have the same God-word effect. It is offense to a holy God who has said lying is a sin. Now down here, the consequences are different. Austin O'Malley said, a lie has no legs. It requires other lies to support it. Tell one lie and you're forced to tell others to back it up. Stretching the truth won't make it last any longer. Those that think it is permissible to tell white lies soon will grow colorblind. This act, lying, is a plague on a house, a family, a culture, let alone a church. We pray things as Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet if lying is persisting in our community, we are resisting the very thing we are praying for. One major survey done in North America was re-recorded in Our Daily Bread where they interviewed vast amount of people on their lying habits. 91% of those surveyed said they lied routinely about matters they didn't consider that serious. 36% of people said they actually lied on important matters. 86% lied to their parents regularly. 75% in the survey lied to their friends on a regular basis. 73% lied to their siblings all the time. And 69% 69 regularly lied to their spouse. Now, why are we doing this? Well, yeah, we're born sinful. And yeah, lying has always been a a troublesome thing in human culture. But see, we're living in a different moment. And actually, we need to understand why this is even gaining more ground. Brad Scott in his book, Streams of Confusion, outlines why we as Westerners 
have bought hook, line, and sinker into what we call relativism, that there is no moral truth, no standard, no divine accountability, no divine relationship that can transform our moral compass or our relational compass. And, and by the way, I'm going to ask everyone to really lean in and listen because his summary of our culture is, is so brilliant. And let me make the connection in a bit. He starts by saying, and this is how our culture thinks, people determine what is right and wrong now, not God. We alone have determined what the civil as well as the moral laws will be. We are taught every day that every person possesses an innate moral sense and all we need to do is trust our feelings especially as they relate to pain and pleasure. And, and depending on how we interact with pain and pleasure, we actually then can know what is right and wrong. We are taught every single day that humanity is good by nature. The thing that corrupts us and makes us all messed up is society. We're born good, but society messes us up. Happiness, we're taught, is the measure and goal of a good life. An individual may do whatever they feel right for themselves as long as they don't hurt anyone. People really are only animals at the end of the day. So only the fit and sexually attractive will survive. Keep leaning in. We're taught all the time, whether it's articulated or, this or, or not, material and economic causes will alone produce societal change. So in other words, if you deal with money and economics, everyone's going to be okay. Here's the next thing. Essence, uh, uh, sorry, existence pre precedes essence. And here's the biggest one. To reform society is to reform people. So we're taught in the West all the time, if we make society better, people will be better. Versus if you change a human heart, society gets better. Only slaves and fools restrain their wills and desires. All real people must be rebels and experimentalists. And so the result is Christianity is primitive, superstitious, an unattainable religion. Jesus is a flawed savior who bears much of the responsibility for the ignorance and suffering of humankind before the rise of science. In other words, everything he writes is relative. Values, morals, standards, belief, truth in itself is relative. In a pluralistic, lean in, relativistic world, here's the answer. Universal, unifying, non-judgmental, acceptance and love, is the only thing that can make society come together. If you said yes to any of that, just so you know, none of that's Christian. Because this is a declaration, there's no absolute truth, there's no sin, there's no guiding light, self is always over community, feelings over fact, there's no need for God in the older sense, there's no need for a savior, there's no need for divine intervention, there is no right and wrong. What I feel is truth, and actually a self-defined, culturally driven love is the savior, you don't need an external savior. And the result of this so-called new thinking as old as Eden itself is this. As children, as teens, as young adults and adults, we should now expect lying as an outflow because if there is no truth, then there's no such thing as a lie. I didn't color on the walls, mom. It was my sister. I don't know who broke the plate. Someone else did. I did my homework, dad. I wasn't online till 1 a.m. No, no, I wasn't at the party. I was studying with friends. No, I've never done drugs before. I'm not talking to another man or woman online. I don't have a porn problem. I've paid my taxes. I never said that thing about you. Yes, I know they're doing really well, but if you had the real reasons why they were successful, dot, dot, dot. Self lies. You're so ugly. You're so fat. God hates you. God would never love you. Or the opposite lie. I don't need God. I'm perfect. I'm fine. Why do I need a savior? Oh, God would never forgive me for what I have done. All those people 
people like that are all the same. I'm the same on the inside and on the outside. You want to see what lying looks like? Just go on any dating profile site globally. Oh, I'm 21. I have a perfect body. I'm a millionaire. I surf and sail. I have homes in New York, LA, and Paris. No, I'm 43, balding, overweight, and I'm sitting on a couch. Like, right? You want to know the best one? I'm sick. I can't come to work. It's a lie. It's a lie. I took time to reflect on the private and the public side of lying. And one of my most painful memories from junior high, you know that really easy time we all went through, is a young woman got really angry at me in grade seven or grade eight. I, I think I wouldn't give her a book or a piece of paper. And we broke for, I don't even know if it was called recess, but we broke. And as I walked outside in front of 20 other students, she pointed at me and she screamed out, you're a racist. I remember feeling scared, helpless, angered, and cornered. I mean, it was left field. It was like a bullet hitting my chest. My reputation was now on the line and she could never really take it back. Now she did later, she met with me and the teacher and said she was just angry at me. And then a few months later, she stabbed me in the leg with a pencil. I still have lead here. My friends actually said she liked me. I'm not sure how that all works. Um, But when she declared me a racist, that moment, meant there was doubt and suspicion and question now in the room. See, when a lie is texted or emailed or written about or said by a journalist or said by word and deed, it leaves a path of destruction, death, doubt, and damage. Here's one poet's take on this. First someone told it, then the room couldn't hold it, so the busy tongues rolled it till it got outside. Then the crowd came across it and never once lost it and tossed it and tossed it till it grew long and grew wide. And the lies brought forth others, dark sisters and brothers, fathers and mothers, a terrible crew. And while headlong they hurried, the people flurried and troubled and worried as lies always do. And so evil-bodied, the monster lay goaded till at last it exploded in smoke and in shame. And from mud and mire, the pieces flew higher and hit the sad victim and killed a good name. You shall not, Give false testimony against your neighbor. Untrue, insincere, deceitful, exaggeration, half-truth, misleading, not having all the facts, or even silence in the presence of wrong. The original context of this comes from a legal perspective. This is actually where in Western jurisprudence we get the phrase, I swear to tell the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the whole truth, so help me what? God. Have you ever stopped and asked why we use lies as weapons? Cornelius Plantinga in his book, The Way It's Not Supposed to Be, a world-class Christian philosopher, I think summarizes it so well. He says, what motivates us to attack others by lying? He says, oh, lots of things. People assault one another with lies out of the competitive urge to defeat them, out of the relish for the controversy stirred up by slander, racism, sexism. Some people want notoriety that comes with a public accusation, true or false. A few seem to hate almost everybody, and they lie about humanity in general. But one of the big major motives for lying appears along the whole length of the fault line of the human experience. The motive, by the way, is as old as Cain and Abel, and as new as the barely concealed twist of displeasure on the face of the runner-up for the crown of the high school homecoming queen. This is a motive that prompts people to slice other people up 
their reputations, to disparage their achievements, to minimize their virtues, to question their motives, to challenge their integrity. No one's that good, you know. And failing all other ways of bringing them down just to kill them. And the motive is simple and it's poisonous and it's called envy. David Seaman's book, God's Blueprint for Living, says there's three ways that we lie. We tell lies, we spread lies, and we actually live lies. We've seen very clearly that for us who are Christians, lying is not just inappropriate or un-Canadian or rude. It's sin. It's wrong. It's forbidden. You know, many of us never think through the grandeur of God. Uh, God is holy and God is love. That is why he's so incredible. He is a mix of both of those things. And very rarely do we ever think even as Christians about things that God hates. But the Bible is clear that God hates certain things. And King Solomon, under the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote this in Proverbs 6.16. There are six things that God hates. Seven things that are detestable to him. Haunty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers and sisters. Out of the seven things God hates, two of them are about lies. To hear the word of God. If the demonic at this moment are whispering, or your heart is yelling out, don't listen to that guy. Don't buy into what that guy is saying. Lying, a little stretching, a little manipulation, it's needed in business. Or you've lied so much, if you come clean, you know your life is gonna... Listen, never forget, first and foremost, that when you lie, you're not just attacking yourself or your neighbor, you are attacking God. God is truth and the command comes from God. And if we are holy as he is holy, we must be truthful as he is truthful. One pastor really brought this home when he said, lying insults not only your neighbor whom you manage maybe to fool, but God who you can never fool. The second way we participate is we spread lies. Gossip, slander, not standing up to untruth when it's spoken, or publicly affirming untruth with our body language. One person said it's that silent shrug, it's that quiet nod, which gives the impression that you're agreeing even though you're not. It's the insidious questions, the implications, the insincere praise. By the way, lies grow the most in hiddenness and in doubt. And doubt much of the time becomes the unfertile or the fertile soil for the dangerous thing called lies. It was Augustine that simply said, when regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. And if all things basically are doubtful, then what is lies and what is truth anyway? The third and more common thing that happens even in church communities is we don't just tell lies or spread lies. We live double lives. And that's a lie. We look good on the outside and we're different on the inside. Now we all struggle with this because we're all sinful and yet there are many in communities that come to church and serve and go to small groups and, and act like everything's okay and everything's not okay. We're involved in actions and patterns and lifestyles that violate and contradict and go against our love relationship and the lordship of Jesus and also attack the church. The Bible is full of this. One pointed out Judas, Judas whose loving gesture, a kiss, is the very incarnation of a lie. Pilate, who sounded so sincere and so pious at Jesus' trial, when he said, what is truth? When he really just was lying and guarding his cowardly heart. We who are followers of Jesus live in a culture where lying and stealing 
is just normal business. But for us, we are a different people, a particular people, a holy people, a chosen people. And our Lord tells us, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Paul said this in Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. To another local church, just like ours in Ephesians, he writes in Ephesians 4.25, therefore each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we're all members of one body. Now this brings us really home. See, Paul says we're not allowed to lie because God is truth. We're also not allowed to lie because we are called to be holy people. God also says, uh, Paul also says, we're also not allowed to lie because we are members of one body. He says in another place, we are the literal temple of God. And the implication of the text is graphic. It's a little shocking and would put you probably back a little bit like it did me. See, when we actually lie to each other, we're actually violating Jesus' own body. Lying, one wrote, is rooted in an attempt to gain advantage over other people. Therefore, it's at odds with the Christian worldview. Such deceit reveals a lack of mutual trust, undermines community, and breeds anger. Ready? To lie within the church community is to maul and bite Jesus himself. So what do we do? Well, God has spoken in the last 30 plus minutes. His word is unequivocal and clear. But I need to stop and remind all of us why God gave this to us in the first place. God is not a father upstairs yelling at his out-of-control children. Totally, listen, God gave us the Ten Commandments because he's already loved us first, he's already saved us from slavery, and he wants us to be what? Free. This is about freedom. This is about being close to God, being close to each other, and walking in freedom and following in the wisdom of God. So the question again is, what do we do? Do we run? Do we hide? Do we fake it? Well, that's not where freedom is. Number one, God asks us as a community to stop stealing. Trust God for your life and what you have and what you'll own. And one of the best things you could do literally in this moment or after the service when prayer teams are available or in connect group later or over your time, your walk with Jesus this week, say, Holy Spirit, bring to mind any moment I've stolen something. Some of you are like, I don't need the Holy Spirit to tell me I know, okay? But many of us might forget. And right when the Holy Spirit shows you what you've stolen, you need to stop and agree with him. You know what confession means? I agree with God. And just say, Lord, have I stolen? Have I I stolen someone's reputation? Have 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 I stolen and then admit you've stolen it because God's mercies are new every morning. And then if possible, begin to repay what you've stolen. One of the most significant moments in the Luke's account of Jesus, of conversion in the true sense, is the, with his, as was with a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a bad, bad, bad man. He was a collaborator with the Romans. This would be like a French person working for the Nazis during the occupation. He had betrayed his people. He betrayed them for money. He was skimming off the top. And it says that he's the chief tax collector. So he's already been kicked out of the synagogue. His family have abandoned him by this moment. And you know the story. And some of you who grew up in church, you have a little song singing in your head. We little man, we little man was it? Yeah, okay. 
And as Jesus walked down, he looked up in the sycamore tree and he said, I want to come eat with you, which of course was shocking. Jesus sits with him. Zacchaeus encounters the God of his ancestors. He's radically changed. And his first response is he stood up and said, look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, and by the way, he had cheated everyone out of everything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And he's a tax collector. So he knows, he ever thought about this? He has the ledgers. He actually isn't saying this metaphorically. Well, I'll pay back anyone, but I don't know. He's got the ledgers. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This guy's Jewish. He's a son of Abraham. That's not what this means. This man is now a real son of Abraham. He's converted and his life is showing it. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. If you have stolen someone's reputation, if you have stolen from your employer, if you have stolen from your parents, no matter the cost, you go back in the name of Jesus and you say, I have done this. And you say, I want to repay you because I have understood something. Jesus has given me so much. He has saved me from hell. He has saved me from a Christless eternity. He forgives my sins every morning. He loves me. I'm never alone. He never leaves me or forsakes me. I know that when I die, death doesn't even win because he has been so generous to me, I must repay what I've stolen. Now, what about lying? Well, no more lying. Lying is always found in three directions. Lies about who God is lies about what God wants us to do or doesn't want us to do, and then lies actually we tell others. How do we break lies? Well, number one, we need to pray the Holy Spirit shows us what is truth and lies. We live in a culture where everything that is bad is considered good and everything good is considered bad. Some of you here today think things are true and they are actually false. Others of you think things are false and they are actually true. That's why, by the way, this is so important. This is called a Bible. This is God's word. And without God's word, you will not know what is lie and truth. You will not know what's up and down. You must love and, and read and live underneath the scriptures and the Holy Spirit will speak to you and he will begin to show you. And then when you begin to realize, and this is what you need to do, again, I need to do this too. Go before the Holy Spirit this week, say, come Holy Spirit, would you show me any time I've believed a lie or I've declared a lie? Again, some of you are like, I already know them, okay? But a lot of us don't. And then he'll show up and through his word in community, he will speak. And when you begin to know that, oh my goodness, that's a lie, then you say, Lord, I agree with you, I confess. And then what you need to do secondarily is this. You need to sit with a trusted Christian and you need to do something that is incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly free. In James 5, we use it all the time. Jesus, uh, Jesus' half-brother was James. When G- James was talking about healing, he says, is anyone sick? You call the elders. We do it here regularly and, and, and you'll be healed. But in the middle of that, he says, oh, therefore confess your sins to Jesus. No, confess your sins to the Father. No, confess your sins to the Holy Spirit. No, confess your sins, what? To one another. Oh, and pray, to, pray for each other so you'll be healed. The, righteous, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. In other words, the way to overcome a lie in your life is to sit with a Christian, look across the table and say, I have lied about this, this, and this because when hiddenness is broken and the lie is confronted by truth, the devil has no foothold anymore in your life. And what's so incredible and important is this. We need the devil out of this church. Because I don't know if you saw a few things, we're going to try to reach still 10,000 people. So there can be no room for the devil in this community. 
And how does the devil get entrance back into a church community since we're predestined, bought, saved, delivered, Jesus is our, no, our high priest and brother and we're steeled until the day of redemption. We give him footholds back in by this type of stuff. And so we come and just say, you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I lied and it was a small thing or a big thing. Maybe you're married and you need to say to your spouse, you know what, I lied about something and it was the stupidest thing and I'm so sorry. By the way, if someone comes to you and says they lied, don't freak out. Show them the love of Christ. Now, I know that you can't be reconciled with everything, but I'm asking you, would you be willing? Now, lastly, let me speak to you who are seekers and skeptics, you who come from another faith or no faith or you're spiritual or you're agnostic or atheist or maybe you're a Muslim or a Hindu or I I don't know, or maybe you have the title Christian, but you're not a follower of Jesus. It's a family thing. It's not your thing. This message is incredibly important for you. You're like, well, yeah, I, I, I think Canada would be better if we had a little less lying and stealing. No, no. This is so much deeper than that. See, what's taking place right now is you've lived a lie your whole life. And you might not even know it. And it has two variations. A whole group of you of skeptics and seekers say, I don't need a savior. I'm fine. I'm good, I'm kind, I'm nice, I'm, I, I, I don't really steal or lie, I'm very, I always line up properly in Tim Horton's lies, lines, like, no, no, you understand, you're lost without Jesus. Every person on earth has walked away from God and is separated from God and needs a savior. The other group of you are people who think, actually, I'm so wicked and I'm so dark and you don't even have a clue all the things I've done with all this and you list all these terrible things. God would never want me to come home. Guess what? That's a lie. God's love cuts right down the middle to those that are righteous and moral and nice people who think they don't need a savior and are just as much in trouble as the broken people involved in all these dark practices. And here's the thing. Jesus comes to all of us and says, we're all lost. We all need a savior and he wants us all to come home. That's actually why John 3.16 is so profound, beautiful, and threatening. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life right? For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some some of you need to hear this because as I've been preaching about lying and stealing, you're starting to feel condemned. Oh, hold on a second. God is convicting you, not condemning you. He's convicting you so you can be free. He says, I didn't send my son to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. There's only one way you remain condemned. Whoever does not believe in Jesus stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. If you declare, I don't need God's savior, you are condemned. But if you say, oh my goodness, I am condemned even though I'm moral or I'm really not moral. In that moment and you cry out to Jesus, guess what? He will break the lie of you being too good or too bad and he'll bring you home. So could we do this across this whole community? Whatever site you're at, wherever you are, maybe you're at the gym and you're running right now, you're on an airplane listening to the podcast, would we all stand? Don't fall off your treadmill if you're standing. (laughs) Would you open your hands if you're willing? It's a sign to God you're open. And let's pray about these things. So number one, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you that your word is relevant today. And thank you, Father and Son, that you've given us the Holy Spirit And even in these moments where it's pretty direct and in our face, you're doing it because you love us. So number one, Lord, forgive us as a church for stealing. Stealing people's reputation, writing stuff online, not having all the facts, literally stealing money or time. Like, forgive us. 
And Lord, we pray that you not only forgive us, help us to begin to reconcile that stealing if possible. Lord, forgive us for lying, for setting, saying lies, spreading lies, or living a double life. And we just pray, have mercy on us, Jesus. Make us clean, make us right. And Lord, we pray again, Holy Spirit, you'd give us the ability and the want and the desire to be people of truth. And we pray now that reconciliation again would take place if possible. And lastly, some of us don't know you, God. We know of you, we've hung around with you, we've had spiritual experience, but we have not met you. And so if that's you, you just pray this. Jesus, I've lived a lie my whole life. And you can say either I'm the good person who thought they didn't need saving or actually I'm the other person who thought I never could get saved. And I'm just realizing I need help. So Lord Jesus, I trust you to forgive me. I invite you into my life. I turn, repent from my sin. I agree with you, I'm a sinner. And I trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I ask him now to become savior, leader, and Lord of my life and help me to live a profoundly new life that it reflects Jesus. Father and son, would you continue to keep pouring out your Holy Spirit at C4 so we know the truth and the freedom of life. As Jesus says, he came to give life and life in the full. May that life replace stealing and lying among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.